Welcome to the Strategy Driven Leadership Conversation, Developing a Collaborative, Productive Culture. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this edition of the Strategy Driven Leadership Conversation developing a collaborative, productive culture. Strategy-driven leadership conversations focus on the values and behaviors characteristic of highly effective leaders. Complementing the strategy-driven management and leadership articles, these conversations examine the real-world challenges managers face every day that aren't easily solved with a new or redesigned process and instead demand the application of soft leadership skills to achieve a positive outcome. In this episode, Diane Katz, author of Win at Work, the Everybody Wins Approach to Conflict Resolution, shares with us her insights on how to develop a collaborative, productive culture where conflict is used constructively to better the organization's overall performance. So now, without any further delays, Let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Diane Katz, author of Win at Work, the Everybody Wins Approach to Conflict Resolution, and president of The Working Circle a management consultancy providing organizational development, human resources, and team-building training and coaching. For over 15 years, Diane has helped executives and managers in manufacturing, construction, technology, healthcare, government, and nonprofits better deal with workplace conflict using her unique, eight-step, non-confrontational method, the working circle. Diane, Welcome to the Strategy Driven Leadership Conversation Podcast. Thank you, Nathan. It's really nice to be here. I, um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too. And just to give our audience a little sneak preview, we're actually going to do a series of conversations. So I'm really glad to have you back with us and to, to talk to us for our Leadership Conversation Podcast. But I know we're going to get to enjoy a number of conversations going forward. So thank you. Thank you. Well, Diane, to begin not only this podcast, but our series of podcasts, I was hoping that you could define for us what you see as workplace conflict and then tell us if you see some level of conflict as actually being desirable. Okay. Well, Workplace conflict probably would be most easily defined as when there are opposing needs and or desires um, so that people, teams, divisions, one one wants to go one way and another wants to go another way. That's mm-hmm. probably the easiest. And since we all know what conflict is, I think that would probably suffice. But what level of conflict is desirable? Well, um, conflict when 
it is at um, a level that helps an organization really spurs people on to be more competitive, to be more creative, to come up uh, with innovative ideas so that if my team is competing with your team internally, we may disagree but and we might, might have conflict, but it's really helping us to really be more creative that I, my team comes up with better ideas and, and that spurs your team. And so that's, that's when conflict is really desirable because it ultimately helps the organization become more successful. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was remembering back to some other research I had done, and I believe it was Alfred Sloan that had this practice. But if he was trying to make a decision with his executive team and someone didn't have an opposing point of view to create some conflict, they would actually not make a decision until that happened. Because That's they wanted, wonderful. Yeah. They, they wanted some, some testing, some hardening of their thinking. So he required conflict in his organization. Well, that's great because I've also seen uh, organizations, teams, where the leader is very uncomfortable with disagreement and kind of squashes it, and that really inhibits innovation and creativity. So um, I, I like what you were saying about what Sloan encouraged because it also allows people in their analysis and their decision-making look at contingencies, what would happen mm-hmm. if, so that they really can cover more bases when they're, when they're working on something. Now, Diane, I think a lot of people are familiar with the terms constructive and destructive conflict. What do you see as being the difference between the two, maybe even in a visible, observable way? Okay. Well, one of the easiest ways to be able to determine if conflict is constructive or destructive, and I'll kind of back into a a definition there, is how much information is flowing between conflicting individuals and or teams. Mm -hmm. Um, So conflict is constructive when even if we are in conflict with each other, we still stay focused on organization goals. When conflict is destructive, then my winning, uh, my defeating you, um, uh, a team being victorious becomes more important than meeting organization goals. So when it, we go back to information, if, if my team is in conflict with your team, and we decide, oh, we have information that would really help us, and if you had it, it would help you, and we don't want it to help you, we don't share that information. Or when it really becomes destructive, we might even give you misinformation. So information, is, which is the lifeblood of an organization, mm-hmm. really is one of the key factors that anyone working in an organization can say, gee, I know we have conflict here, and you know, we don't get the information we need when we're having conflict, as well as uh, resources, sharing of resources. I've seen organizations where destructive conflict is rather uh, flagrant, uh, where you need a new member of your team, and I have a non-performing member on mine, and I try and 
say, well, I'd like you to take this guy because he's really terrific, which is not really so because you're just going to take him and you'll have a non-performing member on your team. So resources, information, um, <clears throat> how much people speak about the issue rather than about the person. Um, so if we're sitting in meetings and we're bad-mouthing other people uh, to the extent that it detracts from time spent on productive work, that also is another indication of destructive conflict. And of course, having constructive conflict is even if there are shouting matches at work, we all end up saying, okay, what, are, what, what ultimate goal are we working towards and how can we, how can we continue to do that? Right, and, and I've seen some organizations actually, I would say, function well with those kind of shouting matches mm -hmm. <laughs> because they're exchanging information. It, it, right. It, it, it's the content, and it's the passion they have that results in the elevation of their their voice level or their volume level, but the information still flows. And it's not personal. Mm -hmm. It's it's issue focused and it's it's goal focused. It's just right. the volume gets, gets really loud. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and 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 associated with that would be how much trust, organizational trust, there is. Okay. And and so even if you you know you and I are shouting at each other, if I know that in the end we're both working towards the same end, then then we can shout at each other. So there is a, a whole piece of organizational trust there. And the more destructive conflict you have, the less trust exists in the organization. And that and the more distrust there is, the more time we're going to be spending on covering our bases, uh, planning and strategizing against the other people rather than Gee, what are we? What work are we supposed to be accomplishing? Okay. Now, Diane, to uh, take this one step further, because we've talked a lot about the behaviors that we see, what kind of outcomes do companies that effectively use internal conflict realize? Well, when when uh, when I work with clients, there are two measurements that we will incorporate into our work. One is um, uh, error rates. Mm -hmm. So even if, if it's, of course, if it's production, that's easy. If it's service, that's a little harder, but still uh, able to be accomplished. Um, when you have more destructive conflict, you're, you're, that's, that's going to definitely be affected and is a measurement that you can, that you can, that you can see. Um, the other is the bottom line. When I work with entrepreneurial companies, um, we will set uh, profit goals uh, because the profit margin goes down when more people are spending time involved in covering their backs and, and being, being uh, conflict-oriented rather than goal-oriented. So those are the two specific measures that, I've used in my work and that that one can really see as an effect of whether or not there is more or less destructive conflict. Oh, great, great. And now we, we've talked about conflict. We've talked about what it looks like. What are some of the common causes of conflict, both the constructive conflict and the destructive conflict? 
Well, um, a number of times when I've been called into an organization because but there's some conflict going on and and the leadership doesn't want to lose anyone, um, very, very often it's because of the way jobs are designed. Oh. So, so um, and it's not conscious at all. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be because there's overlap between jobs. It could be because there's certain functions or tasks or processes that have been overlooked, and so one group or person thinks the other group or person is responsible and vice versa, so it gets lost in an abyss. And so job design can certainly be a a factor. Another is, and probably more more frequent, um, is leadership behavior. One of the most frequent things I see happening is a manager... Somebody comes goes into a manager's office and says, I, I'm having trouble with, with Joe. And the manager says, okay, tell me about it. And can consciously or unconsciously play favorites, um, not help behavior become more issue-driven, uh, to use the phrase you were using, um, so that uh, – and leaders sometimes consciously pit um, team members against each other to see who will come out victorious. Well, that also um, doesn't help the organization. So leadership behavior would be another one. Uh, a third way uh, that can lead to conflict is um, reward slash compensation practices. Um, typical, I guess one of my most the, the, the example that comes to my mind the quickest is when you go into a retail establishment and if the commission base is based on if I win, you lose, that's when you can see people walking over to you, can, can I help you? No, no, you know, And they're all over you rather than trying to really make your experience a pleasurable one and helping you. So, sure. And then reward systems besides money, um, mm-hmm. in, in you know, just who gets the nicer office. That that can also kind of instigate conflict, both destructive and, and constructive. Sure. When we talk about reward systems, I've seen instances where we'll say the manager of a facility has performance measures for which their performance bonuses are based mm-hmm. on and their annual compensation increases are based on that are actually in direct conflict with their boss's goals or the organization's goals. Yes. And and that creates all sorts of conflict because the person is, to my line of thinking, acting or making decisions very reasonably. They're making yes. decisions to achieve their goals, which right. are in gross conflict with the organization. Which is also, you know, another thing that happens quite often, and that is, for those people who are managers who are caught in the middle, the boss wants one thing and the team behaves in another way or, you know, the, 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 the person in the middle wants to protect someone on his or her team and the boss is saying, I don't like them, you know, I want you to deal with them. Those kinds of things also cause great conflict for the middle manager. And that's one of, you know, one of the most difficult things about being in the middle and being a buffer. Yeah. 
Because it, it does seem to be the ones in the middle that get caught up in all, all of this fray. Yes, and one of my one of my uh, expressions that I use to clients. Um, just yesterday, I was talking to a client, and 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 she says, "I'm really in the middle." And I said, "Well, you know, you have to be able to facilitate yourself out of the middle because the guy in the middle gets the bullet hole." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so th- that facilitation that means uh, I- I'm assuming that means they need to be able to have a very constructive conversation with their boss or bosses in some cases mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. point out this this conflict and, and work towards some resolution? Yes, to build bridges. And also, I with the people I work with, we, we use my process, the working circle, so that mm-hmm. they can be non-confrontational and to be seen as problem solvers and peacemakers. And so they can be in the middle and then be more... I would say as a mediator rather than as the person who is stuck uh, and caught in the middle. Right, which uh, again, to my line of thinking, is a real demonstration of leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's uh, you fall into this. I'm just a rote manager if I'm just passing along problems. But real leadership right. brings solutions, facilitates the resolution of the problem has the vision of what going forward in a better manner would look like and helps the organization get there. I, I, I absolutely agree. And, and how many times I hear, you know, I'm powerless here. And really true leadership, no matter what the organization gives that person, mm-hmm. a true leader feels empowered no matter what's going on around them, that they know they have power and that they can use that power to to build those bridges and to be able to motivate other people and, and to be able to minimize destructive conflict. And that really does go to what is true leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, staying on that same line of thinking, what can our leaders do to ensure not only that the conflicts are resolved, but that there's a learning that occurs within the organization such that these kind of circumstances don't just repeat themselves over and over, or if if I was really being idealistic, that if I have a conflict with whether it's my job descriptions or my roles and responsibility descriptions in my part of the organization, that the learning is extended across the organization to others so that they can avoid that kind of conflict. You know, it's an interesting thing that if if uh, if if I am a leader mm-hmm. and and something goes awry in my organization, so some mistake is made, some whatever it is that is that it, it is kind of like at least eight on the Richter scale. You know, um, I can go and let's just uh, to simplify one of two directions. I can go into what happened, what can we learn. Or I could go into what happened, who screwed up. And if I go with the latter, then I have an organization that um, really um, continues to and, and multiplies blaming, blaming behavior. And then if there's blaming behavior, then you're going to have blame avoidance. It wasn't me, and that mm-hmm. encourages dishonesty, that encourages a lack of learning. And when you have organizations like that, which happens far too often, 
the same mistakes get repeated. And so, and then you have a, a loss of revenue because the same mistakes keep, keep getting repeated. If, as a leader, the leader says, okay, this is a big goof up. This is going to cost us a lot of money. Let's talk about responsibility, accountability, and what can we do so that this doesn't happen again. So it's not about finger pointing. This is about I want the person who or the persons who were responsible to stand up, take, take responsibility, mm -hmm. but you're not, you're not necessarily going to be beaten up or publicly, you know, you know, ridiculed. This is about what can we do now so that we can avoid this in the future and not do it again. And that, that also goes to using the working circle because that's a, a very important aspect of the process. So we have our senior leadership team, and I'm going to presume for a moment that they understand and have become our senior leaders because they do know how to foster a constructive conflict environment within the organization. How do you see them passing that along to their managers and, and their workers? Hmm, that, <clears throat> that really um, that goes to many, many different practices, behaviors, and processes. Mm -hmm. um, one is this kind of inquiry that I was just describing when to be able to do, you know, like in consulting organizations and project-oriented organizations, um, there's usually a post-mortem on projects. Mm -hmm. And um, to be able to instill the fact that we are a learning organization, to be able to, in terms of language, in terms of behavior, in terms of reward systems, performance appraisals, to look at how we are learning, how we are improving, how we are improving year over year, not just the numbers, but also the improving processes, re um, reducing repeated errors, those kinds of things. Um, the, kind, the, the process of um, succession, of promotions, internal promotions, of external recruiting, who are you bringing in? I mean, are you bringing in people who continue to walk the, walk the, walk the talk? Or are you, because far too often, you know, leaders have this stated behavior and stated ideals, and then mm -hmm. the, the process of promotion and recruiting um, goes against that. And so to be able to really reward people who uh, continue to learn, who manage their teams in that manner, who uh, ha are creative problem solvers, um, those would be some of the... Um, really most obvious things because I've seen in, in many organizations where the stated behaviors are on the wall, the values, the ideals, yes. and then the actual behaviors are different. And so they have to be in sync. And, and, and for leaders to be able to get to do surveys of employees, to be able to see if there is consistency in terms of, of the values, in terms of the behaviors, and to be able to use uh, human resources as um, kind of a barometer on are we, are we walking our talk. And uh, there's many more specific ways, but that would, those would be some of the broader conceptual ways that I, I see leaders need to, need to do to inculcate those values all the way down to the lowest level. Mm -hmm. And so often I run into that too, where we have what I call the pretty words, 
Mm-hmm. And, and you know we've we've either hired the right people or we've gone out to the right organization to get the pretty words and have the nice big poster slogans on the wall. Right. But the right. way the organization behaves is so very very different. Right. And, and right. Consistent. And the yeah. other the yeah. other problem that you touched on that I I see too is we bring somebody new into the organization. And and maybe our organization has a very constructive culture, mm-hmm. but it takes time for them to readjust because maybe they came from a very destructive culture, right? And they just right. can't can't get over that any organization would actually right. have the learning environment rather than the blaming environment. Exactly, and and one of the things that. I've, I learned from early on when I worked at, actually at American Express and that I now do for some clients is for some key hires to be able to have someone really help them with adjusting and adapting to the culture and not necessarily somebody internal. So there's no, there's no fear of judgment or evaluation but that they really get coached on how do I I'm, how do I work how do I work my way into this culture? I'm actually going to be starting with somebody next week who's who's getting just got hired into a, the biggest job he's ever had, and uh-huh. and the culture that I can see he's being hired into is very different from his natural personality, okay. and so in order for him to be successful, he needs to really get a, a, a sense of what the what the culture is and to be able to fit in without compromising his values. So that's kind of the other view of it as well. Sure, sure. Well, Diane, before we close, you have a website, www.theworkingcircle.com, and mm-hmm. you provide on your website a whole host of additional resources on how to constructively deal with workplace conflict. Would you mm-hmm. take a moment to tell us a bit about your website and the items that our listeners can find there? Well, um, it discusses, it, uh, first, the book that, that, uh, that's that been out for a while, uh, uh, Win at Work, the Everybody Wins Approach to Conflict Resolution, and that talks about eight different career crossroads that we face in our careers and using the working circle and, and team building and... Um, Specific conflict resolution, and uh, uh, those are the things that are on the website, um, as well as the connection to our. Um, we have a Facebook page for Win at Work, and um, and that also gets you in touch with uh, my blog, uh, which comes out from the Tucson Citizen. And so, uh, and 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 we also welcome any questions people might have, uh, just on uh, uh, really what direction to take and and how and and also for coaching. So, great. That's, and, that's and, where what's at the website. And I want to reiterate just how wonderful your book, When at Work, is because I found when I read the book, those various workplace situations that you talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could go through my career, and it's like, oh, <laughs> yes, I had that. And, and of course, you presented them in, in a very illustrative way that walked you through, this is how you should deal with this kind of situation and the kind of outcomes that, that you can expect to achieve. 
And mm-hmm. I Thank just you. wish I had that book. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, I would love to have Me that too. book. Yeah, pull it off the shelf. Oh, I'm dealing with this right now. And I can go and, and just read that chapter. And, okay, now, now I can formulate my plan as to how I'm going to deal with this particular conflict situation. Thank you. You know, and I really tried with the book two two key things. One was to make it like I was having a conversation with the reader. And the other was, I can't tell you what to do, but I can help you with how to figure out what you want to do. Because we all can't do the same thing and we're all not the same. So the book really is, here's a process to figure out what's best for you because you should know what's best for you, not me. Right, and and you do. You walk you walk the person through so that they can walk away with a plan as to how to deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. Great, great book. And of course, we'll put a link to your book so folks can, with a simple click, we'll take them to Amazon, and and they can uh, get a copy. Thank you. So thank great. You. Well, Diane, I want to thank you, not just again for your time, but for your insights on developing a collaborative and productive workplace environment. I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion, but more importantly, I hope our listeners are going to take the time to put the principles you've talked about into practice so that their organization can benefit and that they can have a more constructive internal conflict that ultimately yields them better organizational results. So thank you again for joining us, and I'm looking forward to having you back on the show soon. Thank you, Nathan. It really is a pleasure. I really enjoy speaking with you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Strategy Driven Leadership Conversation. I would like to personally thank Diane Katz for being with us today and sharing her insights on developing a collaborative, productive workplace environment. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Diane Katz and Win at Work at www.theworkingcircle.com. Until next time, so long.